Good morning, One Church. How are you guys doing? Yeah. Wonderful. How many of y'all already had a good morning this morning? Man, I'm telling you what. I love the band. And it's just, and I was just telling Josh when he was going off stage. I said, did you hear them singing? Hey, y'all sounded great. He has in-ears, so a lot of times he can't hear. And, uh, and man, y'all sounded great this morning. It was awesome. We're uh, in our middle week of our series called Inked. And uh, we're talking about tattoos. So let me just ask the question. How many of y'all got tattoos? Let me see your hands. Well, look at look, Keep them up. Keep them up. Look around. That's like everyone. That's amazing. That's cool. Um, how many of y'all um, are thinking about getting a tattoo? You know what? All right. Cool. What are you thinking about? A frog? A cross. Okay. <laughs> frog. You would be unique. I've got to be honest with you. Alright, anybody has a tattoo of a frog? Alright, no one. Alright, say, unique, man. Come on, man. That's awesome. How many of y'all, um, if you had to do it all over again, would maybe get a different tattoo? Anyone? Alright, thanks for the honesty. Alright. How many of y'all, if somebody said, you know what, I would pay for it, and you, you may want to get a tattoo removed? Come on, old girlfriend or somebody, boyfriend, alright, cool. Thanks for the honesty, cool. Well, we talked about last week that all of us have been eaten. Uh, though not all of us have been into a tattoo parlor, that what people say about us, many times we allow to define us and they feel permanent. We also talked about last week um, that uh, most people don't get tattoos removed because they're too expensive and it's too painful. And most people either get them camouflaged or they just give them, get them covered up. But all of us have been inked. All of us have been marked. And many times... It's what people say about us, what they do to us, that we allow to define us and we base our identity on it. And that's really where we landed last week. It's also what we're going to be talking about this week. Last week we talked about what other people have to say about us. Today we're going to talk about what you have to say about you. When you look in the mirror, what picture do you see? Many of us, when we go to the mirror, we see a distortion of our true selves. I mean, it's like, how many of y'all have been to those carnival mirrors and they, they make you look fat or skinny and they have the really long neck, all right? Let me show you. I got some pictures of that. They have this thing on uh, Max called Photo Booth, all right? Um, that you can kind of change your picture around, right? So um, that's some scary smut. That's what you need to know, all right? That's some crazy stuff. Most of us, when we look in the mirror, we see a very distorted picture of ourselves. And here's what I know about you and me. I know that all of us want to be used by God. All of us want to make a difference in our community. All of us want to make a difference in your unit. You want to make a difference in your family, and you want to do something great. You, I mean, five, 500 years, 200 years, 80 years from now, you want people to still be talking about you because of the mark that you made. But here's the thing, and this is where we're, where we're really going to dig down deep today is even though all of us want to do something great, we want to be remembered, we want to leave our mark, it's what we see in that mirror, that distortion is going to keep us from leaving that lasting mark. So what do you see when you look in the mirror? I'll tell you what I see. One of the things that I see when I look at myself in the mirror is this word right here. And it's the word awkward. I see awkward. I was born with flat feet. And um, I also was born with really freaky legs that point out. I don't know if y'all see me. I can kind of walk. I 
actually put my feet. Look at that. Actually, that's a good way. You're a freak of nature. <laughs> my wife would agree with you. Um, but I, I went and went to 12 different foot doctors growing up, and they told me all kinds of really wonderful things that I needed to take a Coke bottle and roll my foot across it to get an arch. That was good. Good times. Um, they also they gave me a prescription to get an arch supports to be able to put in there, so we did that. That didn't do anything. Went to all of these different doctors. The last doctor we went to, I was 11 years old at the time, they said, yeah, you should have wore braces. You remember like Forrest Gump? Jay Matt. You should have wore braces, right? But because you're too, you know, you kind of, you get in the puberty stage, uh, it's not going to work for you. So here's what we can do. We can break your legs and we can reset them that you have about a 50% chance of walking again. So I prayed about that for about a second. And I said, no. So, but when I see myself in the mirror, I see awkward. I see, you know, a, a, a dude growing up when I was a kid. I, I remember this so. And this is another thing I, I see when I see in the mirror. Growing up as a kid, I tried out for Little League. How many of y'all do Little League, right? I tried out for Little League, and this is what I felt like I branded myself with. This word, not good enough. I'll never forget. I went over to Barksdale School to try out for Little League practice. And uh, it had been raining for like four or five days straight. But that Saturday, it was clear. But everything was muddy. So I went. I got up to bat. I'm sitting there. And, you know, and, and, and then throw the ball. And I swing. And I hit an infield fly. And the coach is going, run! And I'm going, this is me running, all right? So I'm running as long as I'm worth. And I'm going to tell you that was muddy. My shorts fell down around my ankles. Jesus. I, I fell out around my ankles. I trip and fall, and my tidy whities get mud all over them, and everybody's going, you know, all the kids are going, you know, all the adults are going, you know. I, I even think some of the mom or dad were going, my parents, I don't know. But I'm thinking, oh, so I, and I didn't make it. And that's what I see. I see not good enough. Another thing I see when I look in the, in the mirror is this word, and it's the word failure. Because I'll tell you what, not all of my ministry experience has been success. Uh, my wife and I and our children, we went to a small town in Iowa and uh, saw a lot of growth, but um, there was a, a certain family that just really hurt us deeply. And... Um, Man, it just hurt. I mean, even today when I think about that a long time, I start to cry. Because I think no Christian, no church should ever treat anyone like that. And let me tell you this. That if you're here today and you've been out of church for a while, and the reason why you've been out of church is because you've been hurt, man, you're in good company. Because I've been there. I've been hurt as well. And let me say this. And some of you think, well, I was just going to give up on God, but I don't feel like I don't, you know, it was just the church. The church was messed up. And I would say this, this is not a perfect church. But I promise you this, you're in good company because we are supposed to love. That's what we're supposed to do. That's they will know we are Christians by our love. All right, all right cool. All right, so another thing I feel during that whole time in Iowa was just betrayed because there's a lot of people that should have said something, they just didn't. And I feel the word betrayed. Let me write that up there, betrayed. Uh, some of you, when you look in the mirror, and even me as well, you, you also see something else. You see something else. 
and it's this word, and it's U-G-L-Y. You don't have no alibi. All right? When um, I had a mole on, on my nose that I felt like it was getting bigger, and when I looked at it, you know, I had to look huge because it was right there. So I ended up getting the doctor to, to whack it off, and he did a butcher job. I'm pretty sure he was, uh, he was drinking the day he did that. Because uh, I look at my nose, and there's just like this huge scar. And I see, you don't see it. When I look in the mirror, I feel like the bride of Frankenstein, all right? So, but because I, I look in the mirror and I see, I see that ugly, I see that scar. And you know what the thing about me? You do the same thing. There are parts of you that you go, do you see that? And you, you ask your spouse, you know, do you see? And you're like, no, I don't see it, but we see it. It's amazing. I've heard, um, I've heard supermodels speak. They said when they look in the mirror, they see ugly. And they feel ugly. They don't feel beautiful. And you would think, if anybody should feel beautiful, it should be a, a supermodel, right? But everybody struggles with ugliness. Everybody does. We all feel ugly. Another thing that we uh, sometimes feel is, is this word right here. And I hate this word. But a lot of times I feel, when I look in the mirror, I feel, I said, man, I'm ordinary. Ordinary. I'm only going to be an ordinary basketball player. I'm not going to be good. You know, there's Eric Jordan and there's Earth Edmondson. Because gravity <laughs> loves me. They love me. Watch this. I'm going to jump as high as I can. Right there. I say it's amazing. Now I'm going to be an ordinary basketball player. You know, I, I play trumpet. Some of you don't know that. But uh, I had a full ride scholarship um, uh, in college. And I, I did trumpet. And I think I'm fairly good sometimes. But, you know, I know that I'm never going to get a record deal. So sometimes I think, you know, maybe I'm just going to be an ordinary musician. You know, I just, we feel ordinary. And there's parts in your life that you, if you could just pick one word, when you look in the mirror, you feel ordinary. Another one is alone. Many times, feel alone. Leadership can be lonely. And I know some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, especially those in the military. You feel like the higher you climb, E5, E6, E7. The higher you climb, the lonelier it gets. And you feel like, you know what, I can't let those guys or those ladies in to see the real me. Because if they do, they won't follow me anymore. I can't, I got, I, I can't really talk about any of this stuff. And though I may be struggling with disorder, I may be struggling right now, but I can't let anybody. I've heard many times soldiers say they're unwilling to go get help, counseling help, because the word is going to go on the record. And we, it gets lonely. Uh, we have a video I'm going to show. This is from Chris Paul, and he was in the Army. And he's going to use some very descriptive words that when he looks in the mirror, this is what he sees. Go on. Sometimes I regret not saving that guy's life. You know, sometimes I sit there and I'm like, you know, that, that's probably what a Christian would do. And yet I didn't have the guts to do it. You think you really know God, and there's just those moments where I went from this place of being a fan of God when I was 22, just having this incredible faith where life went from black and white to being reality. And it just became such a powerful thing in my life in the Army. I mean, the Army kind of sometimes runs the world contradictory towards that. And so I just made this call, this decision that the only thing in life that I really wanted to do was share the gospel. And so I find myself getting out of the army and I'm, I'm in Korea and my colonel gives me a call and he's like, Chris, I want you to take command of this company. And so there's that moment, 
Sure. You know what? I'll do one more year. You know, what's going to hurt? He's great leadership experience. Well, 12 days after I take command, my colonel gives me another call. Hey, Chris, I need you to make an assessment of your men. I can't tell you why, but you can probably figure it out. Figure what out? Well, he told me I was going to war. I'm going to Iraq. months later, I find myself in the sandbox of Iraq, and I'm now the commander of 100 men, 21 tanks, 7 Bradleys, which are like mini tanks, and a handful of Humvees. I'll never forget to stand outside my command post on that first day of combat. Uh, I was watching heat waves. I mean, it's hot. Heat waves are bouncing off the minarets of the mosque. It's 125 degrees outside. And there are my tanks. We're all out in the sector. I mean, here, I'm, I'm doing this. You know, this is, this is real. And I glanced out at my watch to make sure everything's okay. And boom! Smoke and fire filled this mushroom cloud about 250 feet high. Immediately, I run to my command post and try to figure out what the situation was, what exactly was going on. And there's three letters that you never want to hear creep across the radio and comment. That's KIA. Killer damage. The first four minutes, I lose my first soldier. Immediately, I run, I go grab my M4 carbon rifle, my 9mm pistol, I put my flat vest on, I sprint down my tank, and I charge that 50 caliber machine gun. My loader takes a 45 pound, 120mm round, and puts it in the breach of the main gun. My gunner toggles the switches on the computer while my driver pushes that 72 ton beast of machine 43 miles an hour. My line 3 takes up a launch, I pound the door short, everything we got. These terrorists start to withdraw to the north, I send two tanks across the river to fall. I fall on my team. 100 men behind me start searching the house. And after about seven hours of search, we find out. I'm emotionally drained because I just lost my first soldier. I gotta go home and back to the barracks and write a letter home to his wife, Michaela, and 13 year old daughter, Sarah, and explain that I'm not away. Their father and husband died. You know, you got, you got one job in the military for you guys. Bring back everyone you want. First. Seriously, I'll be honest with you, it kind of felt like, you know, God took a day off. Where are you? In the moment of where my company is, we're in battle and combat, and I lose somebody, and there's that sense of, you're on vacation. I was constantly out in the sector, my uniform's white with sweat, I'm frustrated, I'm tired, and I don't even feel like I'm a Christian at all. I feel like, you know, I'm not praying, I'm not reading my Bible. I'm, I'm struggling. This one time, uh, we're out in the sector, and all of a sudden, this, this terrorist takes a car bomb. And, you know, terrorist, that's not like he's got a uniform. It looks like he's really out. He takes a car bomb, and he plows it right into uh, one of my men's tank. The car doesn't explode. In fact, he, there's something wrong, or he miscalibrated. Somehow, the detonator didn't work, and he rams the car straight to the tank. And, you know, this is a two-and-a-half-ton car running to a 76-ton tank. He loses. He's knocked out. The entire gas tank explodes. We have a, a massive inferno moving from the rear of the car to the front of the car where all these bombs are. And so this terrorist rolls out of the car because he wakes up because the heat must be just incredible. He's starting to roll away from the blast. And there's a moment. I'm not going to lie to you. There's a moment I could say more. I, I, I saw it. And there's the moment I said, I'm not willing to die for my enemy right now. I'm not willing to do it. And uh, so I watch it. 
You see, when Chris, when he looks in the mirror, he sees guilty. He also sees failure. Some of you are here, here today and you look in the mirror and you believe what your elementary school teacher said and you see stupid, dumb. You see the words unloved because you start believing the lie that because your spouse walked out the door that maybe there's something about you that's just not lovable. Others see unworthy. What do you see? What do you ink yourself with? By looking yourself in the mirror. What lies do you tell yourself? Because that is exactly what they are. They're lies. Today, what if we allow what God has to say about you and me to mark our lives? What if we allow these words that we're getting ready to read to wash over your souls and wash all of the ink away and allow God to tattoo you permanently with words of how he sees you. I want everybody to take your Bibles. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1. If you have a One Church Bible, it's page 895. And we're going to be looking at what this dude who wrote this, his name is Paul. In fact, we're going to be talking a lot about his life next week because he was inked, literally. Um, we're going to talk about what Paul has said about this. Let me just say from the get-go, this passage of Scripture that we're getting ready to read is in the original language, all one big sentence. From verse 3 to verse 14 is the longest sentence in the entire Bible. And the original uh, language was Greek, and, and, and they didn't add punctuation when they wrote it because they just only had these little small spaces to write so we had actually added punctuation later so that you could understand, so I could understand. But from verse 3 to verse 14, Paul is just like, he's writing this one big, long, run-on sentence because he's so excited. Now, as I mentioned, so many people, they argue over what we're getting ready to look at today. And they will argue and fight and fuss, and they talk about systematic theology, and they talk about all of this stuff, and they just, I don't believe Paul wrote this so that people could argue about it. I believe he wrote it so that we could allow the words that God says about us to define us and to base our identity on. So let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And let's look at how God sees you if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. How many spiritual blessings has God given us? Every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly realms. Now why? Because we are united with who? Christ. You see, it's because we're connected to Christ. Because we have a relationship with Christ. Because we are in Christ. That we have all of these spiritual blessings. And then he lists all the spiritual blessings. Look at verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us. Even before he made the world. Even before he made the stars, God loved you. Even before he made the planets, God loved you. Even before God made your great-grandfather, God loved you. Even before God, even before you were like popped out, God loved you. Even before you took the first step, God loved you. Even before you told your first lie, God loved you. Even before you cheated on a test, God loved you. Even before you first smoked pot, 
God loved you. Even though, even before you lost your virginity, God loved you. Even before you got fired, God loved you. Even before you went to that website, God loved you. Even before your marriage failed, God loved you. Even before you couldn't pay your house payment, God loved you. God loved you before all of that. Now, here's what's so cool. God is all-knowing. That means he knows it all. He knew what you were going to do. He knew who you were going to do it with and what time of day you were going to do it with. And he still chose to love you. That's awesome. God loves you. So many of us, we hear the words, God loves you, and we go, yeah, 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 move on. But no. And I think the people who are worst about this are, are Christians, and especially pastors. Because I know here, yeah, I know God loves me. But a lot of times, I still live my life like i got to earn it. Um, I, this past week, I was uh, talking with a fellow by the name of Kevin. And he just moved here from New Mexico to start a church here in Clarksville called Awaken Church. So uh, I was hanging out with him and uh, just wanted to pray with him, see what we can do to help him out. Because we need more churches. I mean, some people say, well, why would you do that? There's a competition, right? Absolutely not. 86% of people in, in Clarksville, Montgomery County don't go to church anywhere. So we need more people who are willing to be able to reach people. So we sat down, and as we were talking, his, uh, the Awakened Church is getting ready to launch September 19th. Um, as we were talking, it brought back feelings in me uh, before one church started. Um, a little over, uh, well, actually, two years ago, we started September the 9th. And I remember beforehand thinking, oh, man, we didn't do enough. We didn't do enough advertising. We didn't buy enough equipment. We wanted to have 100 people on our launch team, and we had 35. And I'm thinking, and I really, I mean, I was worried. I was scared. We just didn't do enough. Let me tell you how much God is enough. Last week, we had 610 people come to one church. 610 people came and heard that God loves them and that God permanently tattoos your name and your life on himself if you're in Jesus Christ. Now that's cool. And this is what I'm reminded. You know what? I, for, for me, many times it's never enough. But God says, no, Chris, I am enough for you. I am enough for you. And we think, oh, man, just we need more. We need more. And many times God says, no, you need more of me. Even before he made the world, God loved us. The, the first word is love. The next word is chosen. Let's keep on going. It says this. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. Now, let me tell you the importance of chose. The chose and love are a little bit different here. And I, I, the best way I can explain it is by asking all parents in here a question. How many of y'all have ever given birth to an ugly baby? Anyone? None of y'all have given birth to an ugly baby. Now, guys, I hope that after 14 hours of labor, you didn't go to your wife and said, congratulations, you've given birth to a lizard. <laughs> that would have not been smart. But everybody I've seen, I've seen some ugly babies. How many of y'all have seen an ugly baby? See, none of us would. I, some of y'all thinking, you're a bad parent. All right? But see, here's the thing. We've all seen ugly babies, right? And, but your baby is not ugly. And this is amazing. I'll never forget. We were hanging out with a couple last night. They go to one church here. And this is what they said. 
that a true story that when the father first saw her, the little baby, he threw up. I kid you not, because she was so ugly. All right? True story. I, our, our middle child, Jed, was an ugly baby. All right? Let me tell you the reason why. Uh, Kim had a long pregnancy, and, uh, and, and she pushed and pushed and pushed, and kind of, he was kind of going in and out and out. When he finally was delivered, his head looked like, you know, Dan Edward with the cone head. He had blisters on his forehead because he was going in and out, and I'm just going, put him back in. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't choose to love Chad because there wasn't any other choice, right? He was my only choice. Kind of Jed kind of chose me. I didn't choose Jed, right? And the, we, we all, when they're our child, even though they may be ugly, we love them. But let me tell you, that's not, this says God loved us and chose us and decided to advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That we, he chose us and he adopted us. Let me tell you, there's difference. My wife, Kim, she's singing up here, she's adopted. Um, she was born in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, Fayetteville. And uh, there was this couple who never had children. They tried for 12 years, never had any children. So they showed up, uh, and this is when welfare actually did the adoptions. And they showed up, and the caseworker said, okay, um, we'll bring you out some babies for you to look at. So they brought out this little girl, and um, they're Googling, guy guy, and you know, they see all the stupid things that adults say, you know, when they were a baby. You know, like, what in the world? So, anyway, they're playing, playing with this little girl in an hour. You know, they're playing with her, looking at her feet, her toes, and her hands, and oh, and she's just beautiful. But caseworker comes back out with her hands on her hips. Okay, listen, we got two more babies you need to look at so that you can choose. You need to hurry up. And Richard and Joanne says, no, no, we've already chosen. We want her. Now, let me tell you, her adoptive parents didn't choose Kim because she was good at music. They didn't choose Kim because she looked a certain way or because she acted a certain way. They didn't choose Kim because she was good. They chose Kim because they were good. Let me tell you about God. God didn't choose you because you acted a certain way. God didn't choose you because you were good. He chose you because he was good. And some of you, you feel like, man, i got to do this and do this and do this and then. No, 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 no. He has already loved you, and he's chosen you, and he has adopted you. And there's a big difference because when you have a baby, you, don't, you can't choose to love that kid. He's just yours. She is just yours. But God says, no, this is what's so cool. How many of y'all remember in elementary school, and you're out on the playground, and they pick teams? How many of y'all was the last one picked? Help through, shame the devil. All right? I was too. All right? Let me tell you something about God. In God's eyes. You're his first round draft pick. You know that? God didn't come to you after he went to somebody more popular. That's not how God works. He says, I want you. I want you. God loves us. He chose us. And he adopted us. He adopted us. Let's keep on going. Ephesians 1, 6 and 7. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. You know what? Many of you, you've been working all your life to try to belong. God says, I've already accepted you because I've accepted Jesus Christ. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he's purchased our freedom. 
freedom. Everybody say that word freedom. Freedom with his blood of his son. And what's that next word? Forgave. He forgave all our sins. These next two words, we're looking at freedom and we're looking at forgiveness. Freedom. God offers freedom to everyone. And some of you are here this morning and you're in bondage to an addiction. It may be alcohol, it may be cigarettes, it may be snuff, it may be porn, it may be food, it may be relationships and approval, but we're all addicted to something. And God says, I can offer you freedom, but it comes, it comes with a cost. And I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here with all the soldiers we have. Freedom isn't free. There's always a cost associated to it. it what it cost us to be free was Jesus Christ dying on the cross. We can be free. We can be released from bondage. Y'all remember a couple of weeks ago um, when Bill Clinton traveled to North Korea and he went and he was able to get those two young girls free. Now, I don't care what you, you, know, what you think about Bill Clinton politics. That's not my point. But Bill Clinton traveled and Laura Ling and Una Lee were given a special pardon. They were given freedom from a 12-year sentence of hard labor. What if, when Bill Clinton went over there and they said, okay, you can go, you're free. What if Una and Laura said, you know what, we don't want freedom, we just want to stay here. What do you think would happen? You see, because freedom, when it's offered, if you don't accept it, it's no freedom at all. True story. In the United States Supreme Court records, there is an interesting story about these two guys, George Wilson and James Potter. And George Wilson and James they robbed a, a train carrying federal money and killed some people. And they were executed. They were executed. They, were, they said, okay, you're going to die. And James Porter was hung. He was hanged. But George Wilson, he had some influential friends who wrote to the president saying, please, I have leniency. So President Andrew Jackson from Tennessee gave him a pardon, a presidential pardon, and said, okay, he does not have to be killed. But what was amazing about this is that George Wilson refused the pardon. And this left everybody scratching their heads. Can they do that? Can they refuse a presidential pardon? So this went all the way to the Supreme Court where the Chief Justice wrote this. This is what they said. A pardon has no value apart from that which the receiver gives to it. George Wilson has refused to accept freedom. We cannot conceive why he would do so, but he has. Therefore, George Wilson must die. And Wilson's execution was carried out. Freedom offered and not accepted is no freedom at all. And some of you are here this morning, and you think, you know, you're like, yeah, I, I just, I want that freedom, I want that forgiveness. But unless you accept Jesus Christ's Son, there is no freedom. There is no forgiveness. You have to begin a relationship with Him. So when you look in the mirror, what do you see? You see guilty, failure. I love this next verse. This just came to me this morning when I was in the shower. Ephesians 1.13, look at this. It says, and also you were included. Did you know in Christ, you're included? Some of you feel, have felt excluded all of your lives. But you can be included. In Christ, you are included. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were, and what is that next word? That's what we're talking about. You were marked. Now, how were you marked? You were marked in him, in Christ, 
with a seal the promise of the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to get into the next verse, but the next verse says, you are, you are marked for eternity. That the Holy Spirit, he gives you God in you, and you have God in you forever once you begin that relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the freaky bomb. That is awesome. Now, I want to go back to verse 9. The last thing we're going to talk about today, we're talking about all these words, love, chosen, adopted, included. We talked about marked. The next one is plan. That God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Look at verse 9. God now has revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ. A plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. We are part of his plan. God has a plan and God has a purpose. And the neat thing about all of this is he is including you in that plan. He's including you in that purpose. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. God has a plan for your life. He wants you to get on board with his plan. There's this Christian dude named Henry Black, and he says this, to find out where God is, living, God is working and get on board. But many times we don't get on board because we look in the mirror and we say, I'm too guilty. I'm unloved. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. And the more we start believing those lies, the less God can use us. And that's our big idea today. It's simply this. It says, when you see yourself the way God sees you, you can get on board with his plan. When you see yourself the, the way God sees you, you can get on board with his plan. That every contribution you make to his plan is not time wasted. Here at One Church, we give many opportunities for you to get on board with God's plan. We're doing a lot. Our mission is to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We are always wanting to continue to tell others about Jesus. And everything that we do, all the setup we do on Saturdays, all the setup we do on Sundays, is all so that, as we know, we have got to have some people coming through that door who have not been to church in forever. And we, and, and, and we give an opportunity. Some of you think, I'm not good. I, I don't know enough. Okay? Can you set up a computer? You saw, you saw the new check-in system. How many of you all got kids out there? You did the check-in? Wasn't that cool? Man, we need people to help set that up. Our one-way street environment, we need people to help set that up. We, we got all of this stuff up here. We mounted the screen so that it would take down on our setup time. But we need more people to get involved. I like my friend Don out here. Him and I met at the tap room at the Black House where he was DJing. And, and, and Don says, you know, I don't know enough. I says, can you DJ? He says, you, I can throw down. You know? <laughs> right? right? And, and I says, hey, listen, why don't you come DJ for us at one church when we're doing the Ink Series? How many of y'all enjoyed us DJing? <laughs> you see, God has gifted all of you, and when you start looking in the mirror and say, well, you know what, I got a past. I feel alone. I feel awkward. I feel ugly. They can't use DJing. Want a bet? Want a bet? Some of you, man, I've got a kindergartner, Chad. I've already talked bad about him, so I'm going to talk good about him. Man, he, he just went into kindergarten. And let me tell you, some of you who are working with our children, praise God for you, but there are others who are thinking, but I don't know enough. I mean, you don't have to know it all. You don't have to have all of your theology systematically correct to be able to teach a kindergartner that Jesus loves you and that God has a plan for your life. You may still have some questions. 
You may still be working out all of that stuff in your, in your heart and in your mind. But you know what? You start where you are and you start moving. Some of you, you think, well, I can't do it. Well, you know what? We need help people with, with data entry. We need help with, with, uh, with greeters. I mean, okay, I can't do that. Can you open the door and say, welcome to my church? <laughs> How many of y'all can open the door? Let's see your hands. Okay, thanks for all volunteering. Appreciate it. <laughs> but see, we provide opportunities here at One Church that, you know what, some of you, you may have been, and you may be broken, and you've been kind of burnt out. You know what, I, I don't really feel like I have anything to offer. You do. Because God sees you not as broken, but as whole. Stop believing the ink you see in the mirror and believe what God is tattooed on your life. Every small thing becomes a big thing. There are a lot of opportunities you can do at one church. I want to introduce somebody right now. Her name is Anna Palmer. And Anna Palmer is one of our missionaries that we support here at One Church. You saw her video when she got uh, uh, this morning, if you got here a little early. And we love you Christ. 
who's saying, you know what? I, yeah, you may see limitations in me, but in Christ, I can do anything, right? Man, she's leaving tomorrow. Can y'all give it up for her?
So stop giving excuses. God wants to use you. He wants to use the college student in here. He wants to use the youth in here, the child in here, the adult in here, the senior adult in here. He wants to use the person who just went through the divorce. He wants to use everyone because he loved you. He loved you before all of that junk. He loved you before all of that stuff. And in Christ, you have freedom. In Christ, you have forgiveness. In Christ, you have love. He has chosen you. He's adopted you. He's empowered you. You don't, you don't have to stop. You can stop trying to be good enough. Because Jesus Christ is good enough if you're in Christ. So here's how we're going to end it today. As you leave, you're, there, we're going to get you pieces of paper. And, and this is what it says. It says four ways to get involved in God's plan. Because some of you, you need to stop believing. Well, Chris, this is only my second time here. It don't matter. All right? God has a place for you. And I'm telling you, what's so cool is that we had all of those people last week. Who made that possible is God and people, just like we're in the back, who's going to be giving out the pieces of paper, saying, you know what, I'm willing to be here, and I'm willing to roll a cord. I'm willing to be here, and I'm willing to teach a baby. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be here, and I'm willing to move a speaker. Because the way we've chosen to do church, it's not about buildings. It's about people and Jesus Christ. So my question is, when are you going to get on board? What excuses are you going to stop making to get on God's plan? And you think, well, I don't have anything to offer. You do. There's a person here, I'm not going to embarrass her. She comes every week to clean the one church offices. And she does that just, and not for payment. She says, this is how I'm going to serve the church. And I'm so thankful for you. Where can you get involved? As we close today. There are some of you that you know this does not describe you because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. If you want to know how to be in Christ, if you want to know how to have that relationship with him, there are going to be people along the sides of both of these walls, and they're going to have name tags on. You can go to them, and you can say, would you please tell me how I can be in Christ? And they're going to show you how. You need to do that. Don't delay, because God wants to tattoo your life. With words like freedom and forgiveness and chosen. But you have to accept this. Lord, we love you so much, Jesus Christ. And I thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. Lord, you are beautiful. You are strong. Even though we don't feel like we're enough, you are enough. Lord, I thank you so much, God, that you love us. That you chose us before you even made us. We love you, Jesus Christ. And thank you so very much for allowing us to be in you, to have that relationship with you, to be marked with you. As we look today, marked literally with God in us, the Holy Spirit. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.